Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. So, yeah, the joke went over my head. Yeah, what? It happens. What? Yeah, what? Just, what? Now I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I went to the Knoxville Horse Fest, and Carl got to go to the lighthouse. We'll yeah, not the a place I would later. recommend for people. Not not, well, not a place. A movie, absolutely, but not, not yeah. the place itself. But, yeah, I only got to go to Saturday this year, but it seems like I probably got to see some of the best films. And we're going to be talking about the truth about the eternal debate. Are Marvel films art or what? It doesn't really matter. Of course it doesn't matter, but we'll get into that later. But, of course, I got there early. And for the first block, and this should tell you how far the festival had gotten by the time I got there. Uh, the first film was Toe. Tell me if this sounds like something we might have ran into lately. A starving okay. boy eats a toe he finds sticking out of the ground. Later that night, something ghastly wants it back. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you listen to the story show, which I hope you have, yes, it's another adaption of the story that Vicky told. 
And by the way, I a, I listened to that show today. Uh, it was really good. You did a wonderful job on that, sir. What did Seriously. you think of the Joe R. Lansdale story? Was it amazing? I loved it. Are you space? kidding? We love Joe. But yes, it was awesome. Yeah, even though it basically says you cook and kill baby. <laughs> yep. But yeah, instead of uh human leg bone, this is the human toe and it was done in that woodcut animation style. Oh nice. You know, it looks like paper, it's gorgeous. It was great. But then how can you screw up that story? Not so much. It's a pretty good story. It takes a real man to screw up a story like that, and sadly, we've probably seen it before. Yeah, but who are you talking about? What show? I don't. I haven't seen it yet, but I can see it. Even uh, who was it readapted it? Check off into the drop of water, which Mario Bava did for Black Sabbath. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. The whole spin of the short story, if I'm right, you make thumbs up or thumbs down it, Carl, is that something is stolen from the dead and the dead comes back to get their stuff back. Absolutely, that's what it is. Yeah. And the second one is Noctambulos, or Night Owls. A group of late-night skateboarders is being watched in secret. When one breaks away from the group, the pursuit begins. You ever seen those short films that are either test runs or would make a hell of a fucking opening credits for a bigger movie on the same subject? Oh, yeah. That's what this is. I'm not going to say in case, because when it comes online, you do need to see it, people, but it is damn good. And the twist isn't what you expect. Well, it kind of is, but it's still damn good. And then we have Kiss. A coroner fixes up the newest body of the morgue and adds a few touches of its own. That's another one that doesn't go where you go. It starts creepy with the coroner putting on makeup on the corpse and giving the female corpse a big kiss. But then things get this. Then things get weird. And no, she's dead. Not cold like most of your dates, Carl. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? That sounds a little bit of like the autopsy of Jane Doe. Uh, you know With the, the corner. Okay, this is necrophilia. Okay, which was not Jane Doe. Okay. And the best short I've seen today, directed by Jill Jazarian, One Last Meal. A warden and his guards have been waiting years to execute a madman, but they aren't prepared for his final meal request. It's hilarious. It's basically what if the Coen brothers did a movie about a cannibal murderer wanting his last meal. (laughs) Okay, that sounds like fun, actually. It is. I mean, 
the guy who plays the warden is fucking hilarious. God damn it, boy. You need to man up and do your job right. <laughs> and he's telling him to cut a chunk off his arm so the cannibal can have his last meal. And he's like, God damn it, boy. You need to man up and do this job like a man. <laughs> that sounds like fun. It goes into that coin territory and it fucking works. And you know how hard it is when you go into Cohen territory. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Makes me more excited to see her new her new feature film which she's gonna start working at, uh the stylist. And she won best director for it, so hey, what do you what can you say? That's pretty good. Nothing wrong with that. Of the day, the first feature film, which was Kindred Spirits, directed by. You ever heard of some guy named Lucky McKee? I love Lucky. I freaking love Lucky McKee. A single mother's life is turned upside down when her younger sister returns from a long, unexplained absence. It has Thora Birch and two other people. The one who plays her younger sister is fucking amazing. Good. Without really ruining the twist. The only problem is is they got Thora Birch, and in this movie she's just playing, uh, what was it Daria Argento called her? The, the bird? Yeah. The one who's just there to react to everything and just look pretty. Right. Mhm. Yeah. <coughs> she doesn't have much to do with Florida and access and a plot. She's more like just there. It's sort of. It's hard to describe without giving any spoilers, but. God. It's like a Lifetime movie if a Lifetime movie wanted to make you feel <laughs> dirty and unclean. Nice. Which, of course, is I right did. up uh, 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 his alley. Lucky. Lucky is very, very much uh, 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 makes you feel uncomfortable to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> for those of for those of you that don't know who we're talking about, check out uh, May is is one of his films, and also The Woman. And and generally, and I Roman, find that we did not talk about that much. Right, which I actually have not seen. So so that's oh, one of the ones good. I have not. Lucky, it's basically the woman who plays May, Angela Bettis, and Lucky exchange roles. And Lucky's the lead actor, and uh, Angela is the director. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's sort of like a male version of May. and it, It gets dark and creepy. Cool. That's very cool. But yeah, I mean, it's only ninety minutes, but goddamn, does it ratchet up the tension? Well, as I said, I'm a huge fan, so so I'm, I'm yeah, glad to hear it. It's good. And then we took off, and I BS with a couple of people I caught up with. It was time. It was time for the second block of the day, which starts with. 
Well, this one's pretty short because all it had was the guy and Daniel is it real. The guy okay. is a chance encounter leads Tommy to follow his dreams and changes his life in the process. This one is a weird one, but good. It's about a guy named Tommy who ends up changing his... It's very, very, very surreal. Old school surreal. Not that pretentious shit that you like nowadays. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you, ba da da. You know. (laughs) And then Daniel isn't real. Oh, my. God, this was the best one I seen that day. This is one when it comes on Shutter in the next month or so, you fucking drags out giant capital letters as big as a goddamn mountain. Need to watch this. Nice. A troubled college freshman rejects a childhood imaginary friend to help him cope. Charismatic and full of manic energy, Daniel helps him take control of his life. And it's not long before he wants control. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. There's no twist to it. Daniel is known to be an imaginary friend from the get-go. But God, does it get dark as fuck. And the lead guy, our hero is played by Patrick Schwarzenegger. Arnie's kid. Yeah. And he cool. just tears it up in the, in his role. He just ta- he it's good. It's creepy. The best way to describe it is Fight Club. If Tyler just wanted to take over. Narrator's body, period. Okay. And that's not really spoiling any of the bizarre and wild and strange places this motherfucker goes. Good! It's dark, bleak, downbeat. And it even goes to... It has one of the best Kronbergian body change sequences I've ever fucking seen. Wow. That yeah. says something right there. Yeah, Cronenberg would be proud. It Good. is. It was really the best of the day, but then I, we broke for dinner after that because we was pretty much already, well, 4.30. Everything was still running on time. Let's see, 7.00. Okay. And normally I would feel bad about me. I'm I'm pissed that I had to miss the Girdler Fest, but then on Friday I'm like, God damn it, I'm missing. And then my mind went, Steve, what? You're missing Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I'll so they actually that. ran that? They ran Tammy yeah. and the T-Rex? Are you fucking kidding me? cut of it. The original R-rated cut of the movie. 
Oh, okay. It That's still odd. But it's still Tammy and the fucking T-Rex. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's fucking weird, man. And this one starts out with five-course meal, which is a very, very, very bizarre thing about a couple who gets, well, let's just say it goes with gluttony along with the seven deadly, other six deadly sins in our next film. Wait, here we go. Mark and Jenny agree to take part in a mysterious experiment for money. It's a real gross out. Even he admits, I'm sorry I programmed this right after the dinner break. (laughs) (laughs) And next is porno. Five teens at a Christian movie theater in a small Christian town discover a mysterious film hidden in his basement. Unleashing an alluring succubus who gives them a sex education written in blood. Okay, that sounds absolutely fucking awesome. It's fun as hell. We got the. It's set in the early nineties because at the first they're fighting over what they're going to see, and their two choices are Encino Man or A League of Their Own. <laughs> And it turns out everyone has their little secrets, which is really brought out. And once they find the old burnt-down porno section of the theater, there's two posters I would have stolen off the fucking walls immediately. Okay. One is Deadly Weapons with Chesty Morgan, and the other is an original Orgy of the Dead poster. Are you kidding? I uh, Yeah, I would get both of those. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's the lines in there are hilarious. They're watching the movie, and it shows, like, nudity and a satanic sacrifice, and one of them looks at the other one and goes, are all pornos like this, or is it just this one? <laughs> There's oh, that sounds like nudity, fun. great succubus. And the straight-edge guy, guess what his sin is, which he's, trying to fight against. What? He's hooked on cigarettes. Nice. Man after so my own heart. So comes out to tempt him, all naked but with a cigarette in each hand smoking them. And then as soon as he sees the hit cigarettes, it focuses in and shows that he's got a heart on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's dirty, it's unrated, it's just fun. Good. That, that sounds like a blast. Yeah. So what else was there? Nine. Here we go. Where This is where we were. Like, no block eight, because... I think we're getting into the ugly section. Yay. Yep. Unholy Mole. A short-sighted man sells the soul of his unborn child 
to Satan for exchange for his wife making him guacamole again. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah. You're fucking kidding me. No. <laughs> oh, good God. It's funny as hell. And the next short is The Loop. Mikey's older brother brings on a horror movie where the the little boy gets dragged into it and gets chased by the killer, but the brother doesn't know because he's making out with a girl. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And here we go from 1981, directed by Sam Raimi, we have Evil Dead. Grindhouse's restored special edition features a reimagined score by original composer Joseph Loduca and a thrilling new 5.1 sound mix. Okay, that doesn't sound too bad. How can you fuck up a movie that was shot in mono and with a great score, which the best part about it was how minimalistic the fucking score was. True. If you, I mean, really, how minimalistic was the music score in Evil Dead? Oh, very much so. I like that score. They didn't overdo it. It was a good score. But this one... They took a 1981 movie that was designed around a minimalistic score, and he made sure they were music all over the fucking film. And yes, it has a new 5.1 score soundtrack, but it all goes toward the fucking music and sound effects. The fucking dialogue and voices are all in fucking mono. Oh, good God. Yeah, imagine hearing that. It's like, crash, boom. Crash, is everything all right? (laughs) Oh, that's not good. Or is your modern-day, over-none, bombastic score? I'm not saying it's a bad score on its own, but adding it to a 1970s film... Or 80s, actually. Well, it was shot in 78, 79, but it did get released to 81. Mm-hmm. And it's the first time I've ever seen the mix where you can really tell how much of a baby face Bruce Campbell was because he has that squeaky... Yes, they brought this out with a new mix that... Bruce Campbell's squeaky sounds like his balls hadn't dropped yet. Teenage voice. <laughs> okay. You know. Yeah, I know. It's like, holy shit, it's young. He's young. I don't know. Only reason they did this new score is so they could fucking resell another. Fucking edition of Evil Dead on DVD. 
and four point K. Because it and Halloween have a have a dubious record. You know what that is? What? The most the most releases uh on D V D? Blu ray? Yes. Uh Halloween has ten. Evil Dead has around fourteen. Oh good lord. Yeah, when it first hit DVD, Anchor Bay did five different releases of it with five of it was just a clear DVD pack with different artwork on the discs. And there were like five of them. And then they did and then there was the original Elite DVD, which is the first one's extras. And then Anchor Bay re-released the Elite DVD, except that they redone the audio, and there we have the Book of the Dead edition. Are we done yet? No. No. They did another edition. They called it the Ladies of the Evil Dead edition. Why? Because they added a commentary from the ladies, the three female stars of it, and re-released it again. And then they did two Blu-rays. One was a Walmart exclusive with actual commentary and extras. And the second, a bare bones one. And now we're going to have another one coming out. Okay. I stopped with the Book of the Dead. That's the one I have and I'm keeping it. I forget which one I've got. But they changed the fucking end credit music, that silly music, you know. Yep. They changed it to something that's more like a ragtime song than that, without the horn, just piano ragtime. Real happy music. Okay. It was bad. Very, very. I walked out as soon as they got to the scene where Ash was in the basement and I seen that they had changed that entire song. I walked out of the fucking movie. Aww. And not for nostalgia's sake. That's what most people say. Oh, you just not opened anything new. No, if they would have done it right, I would have been there. Yep. Because I'm not an anti-remake person. I like the remake of Hills Have Eyes better than the original. I like the remake of Dawn of the Dead. I like Dawn of the Dead. I like that remake. Yeah. best way to describe it is the music don't fit. It's weird, but it just don't fit. Oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Well, you know how it is when they overdo something. Oh, absolutely. Like I had an evil a version of Evil Dead on videotape where they had over-brightened it so much, man. 
Okay. You know when the scene where Linda's in the basement trying to climb out and right. uh, Scott's hitting her in the face with his shotgun? Right. It was so fucking bright, you could see Sam in the hole holding the dummy head on a stick. Ah, oh, Jesus. How many times have you seen that 70s movies with the moody lighting? Well, that was that was very common. Well, they over brighten it. Well, you see, I I generally don't get multiple versions, so I actually really have not seen that. At least nothing comes to mind too much. Exorcist. the version you never seen. Which I have not seen. <laughs> it has like 20 or so subliminal shots of that Captain Howdy monster just popping up out of the cabinets and stuff like... You don't need to overdo something. You really don't. Like uh, the mm-hmm. last version of Apocalypse Now to come out, it's actually a half hour shorter than the insane redo version. Okay. And by making it tighter, it's actually the best version of it I've fucking seen. That's good to know. Just like uh, Heaven's Gate, the middle cut is better than the overlong work print cut that Criterion first put on disc. And a lot better than the nasty-ass short print where if you probably sit in the theater, you would think it's a piece of shit. Okay. Yeah, I I don't get into that too much. You know, the different versions and that sort of thing. I there are certain things. I've got the Alien set, uh, uh, which has got the uh, the good cut of Alien Three, uh, and I have a couple others. I have Blade Runner too, but not yeah. not too much. I'm not not that into that. Blade Runner is really one where fucking really sky. Why? Well, isn't it like most of the films, Ridley Scott goes fucking insane. There's, yes. In your set, there's five cuts of Blade Runner? Yeah. Yep. At yeah, least four. four. I'd have to check it again, but I think I think no, there is five. The four, there's a theatrical cut, the war cut. Right. Uh... The anniversary cut, which is the first one without the narration. Uh, The final cut, there's four. And the work print. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about the work print. They say too much is never enough, and sometimes I say bullshit, sometimes it is. Or the oh, reason absolutely. why we call it too much. There, there's a meme that I put in ISF, which is a, a butcher 
and 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 the customer says, "Well, what's 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 that? It's the director's cut. Oh, that's with with all the fat and 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 none of the trimmings." <laughs> Unless it's one of those weird ones where they actually do make it tighter, which happens occasionally, not yeah. often, but it does happen once in a while. But, yeah, that was all the movies, and there was the grind out, which I really can't go into unless I had a list in front of me. But there were some damn good ones this year. Good. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed yourself, man. Yeah, for the one day I went. Shut up, Steve. Okay. Uh (laughs) But, yeah, you got to see... One of the best, well, I ain't going to say it, one of the most, what the fuck is that good film of this decade? Well, you know, <coughs> we could do Steve Martin and Bill Murray. I, yeah. What the hell is that? I don't, I don't know. Oh, I know what it is. Goddamn what, what, what the hell is that? Yeah. Yeah, I got to see The Lighthouse, and I saw that this past weekend. Um, it's really good. Now, Eggers' previous film, The Witch, had, uh, you know, divided people. And you have to have an open mind and understand something, okay? To be very honest, um, I think they have mismarketed this film a little bit because, to be honest, it's funny as fuck. There are parts of this that are just hysterical. Oh, and, and, and uh, a new poster for it? No. It's a companion piece to the witch's poster. The witch's poster has Black Philip the goat on it. Right. The new picture of the lighthouse has a gull on it. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yes, the goal is very important. The goal has gall. Okay, never mind. Uh, bad joke. But this is basically a two-person film. Okay? And the actors are Robert Pattinson, uh, who started in, in, in the Twilight films, but has made quite a name for himself since he... Uh, w- was in uh, uh, Cosmopolis with uh, uh, directed by Cronenberg, and he's done some really good stuff afterwards. But they pair him up with Willem Dafoe, and Willem Dafoe is this old salt who runs the lighthouse, and, and Patterson is a young kid who came in to, to to you know as his subordinate. And man, does. The foe go off the rails. It is wonderful. There, when we do another, uh, um, another uh, monologue show, the foe has this one monologue that just absolutely blew me away. Uh, another thing is the visual sense of it. Uh, this is done in a ratio that was—I uh, don't know the technical end of it—but basically a ratio that that was used for silent films back in the day. So yeah, it, does it not was fill the whole film. film ratio. Okay, but what that does, along with the the uh, the darkness on either side of it, 
it really sets the tone. Um, another thing I have to say is I saw it in a theater in Manhattan. I got there and I got the last seat. And I got there an hour before the show. And so the the theater seated, I, I checked it, 362 people, completely filled. Only two people walked out that I saw. Um, but the film itself is really odd. Uh, you you know, and, and there's a lot of magic realism. But it's it becomes rather apparent that basically you have two very macho people that are, are put away in this remote, and they both go crazy in one way or another. You know, and who goes more crazy? Well, that's a good question. Um, but, man, is it a good film. And there's going to be parts of this that you're going to absolutely look at it like, what the fuck? Why is he doing that? I don't, I don't get it. Just roll with it. Just accept it. And then at the end, I won't say it make complete sense, but at least you feel, you know, that it worked really well. And it does. So so that's what I would say. I give it uh, certainly, uh, I would give it easily four out of five stars. Uh, probably four and a half and out of five. Definitely one of those where... Well, look at the mix of flavors you got there. You got Go ahead. one part, Prime of the Ancient Mariner. One part, uh, slight Lovecraftian overtones. Very slight. And you could put on... Fucking Lacuna Coil's uh, Song to the Siren. Yeah, you could do that, absolutely. That I would agree with him wholeheartedly. And definitely a little bit of uh, Roman mythology. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and the one thing I do want to mention... I gave it four, a half, four and a half out of five. There's a reason I give it four and a half, and it, you touched on it with, with the previous film, uh, um, The Evil Dead. The score to me was overwrought. It was too much. And, and, and so I, I, uh, I kind of, that was the one thing that took me out of the film to a certain degree. Yeah, especially uh, as quiet as The Witch was. Right, exactly. Now that being said, uh, still it's well worth watching. Seriously, you need to see this. No doubt. Yeah. And it opens wide this weekend, and it did four hundred eighty-three thousand dollars in eight theaters. Yeah. It did extremely it's well. It's going to be an interesting well, weekend. Uh, Parasite, the the Korean film goes wider. Uh, the Lighthouse goes nationwide. People have realized that Maleficent is a piece of shit, and they should be beaten for watching it. 
And, and of course, there's the uh, uh, um, the sequel uh, that came out this past weekend to the uh, Zombieland sequel. That one is just getting eh, reviews. It's the same old song and dance. If you like, it's like a McDonald's sequel, as I call them. Yeah. You know, you know what you're getting, and if you like that, good. But then I watched another McDonald's sequel on Friday, and I actually liked it. Which one was that? Rob Zombie's Three from Hell, the sort of the sequel to The Devil's Rejects. And what's the big okay. thing? They just don't die. Okay. That's it. It's like, holy shit, they got shot 20 times each and they didn't die. But then again, mom had someone come in the hospital once who was shot like 23 times. And not a goddamn serious injury in 81 of those shots. Yep. It's it's called uh, wanting a sequel, and we'll do whatever we have to. And that's okay. Well, no, I, don't really I mean, I'm being serious. That. that has actually happened. Wow. The guy was shot with like a full clip Uzi up close, and the motherfucking bullets went every place except something that would cause serious fucking injury. The guy nearly bled the fuck out, yeah. And then the movie is set ten years after that. They've all been convicted. Otis is a little more older and mellower than he was in the first film. Yes, he actually lets them grow up. How shocking really is that for a sequel? Well, that, that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, but in all seriousness, I've seen so many sequels like, it's 20 years later, and they're still the same. Why? Yep. But yeah, Sid's only in it for one scene because he's six, but goddamn is he good. I'll let you see in the scene. How fucking great was he in that scene? Oh, I, I, well, come on. We, we, we so love him. I mean, you know, but the, one of the reasons we love him is he's that goddamn good. Seriously. I mean, he's sick and soon, but then he just looks at the interview and goes, I should slap the shit out of you. And you can see fear, actual fear in that guy who was playing the interviewer's eyes. Yeah. There's no faking that look. No, not at all. And he has one of the best jokes ever, don't you? Don't he? Yep. What's yeah, he does. What's the difference between a run-over cat and a clown in the middle of the road? I don't know. What? The cat has skid marks in front of it. <laughs> yep. Nice. <laughs> But, yeah, they end up, uh, uh, well, the guy who played Doomhand in 31 ends up busting uh, Foxy, uh, 
and uh, their half-brother busts them out of prison. Well, bust Otis out of prison, and the first half of the movie is about how they get Baby out of prison, who's basically 200% batshit crazy in this one because she's tortured by uh, D. Wallace Stone as a lesbian prison guard. Wow. And then they bust up and end up down in Mexico. But you remember Danny Trejo's character from the second film? Yep. Because of some something that happens with his character in uh, this one, his son and his crew show up in the Mexican town where they're hiding out in luchador masks with upside-down crosses on them and machine guns, and we have a big-ass gunfight for the last 20 minutes of the movie. Cool. Yeah, it is 200% pure drive-in sleaze. And what's wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. nothing. About time he got his ass back into that. Rob, stick your ass where it belongs. You're one hell of a drive-in director. Make fucking drive-in movies. You know what? It sounds like it'd be a really good pairing with uh, Drive Angry. Yeah. Except Drive Angry is better, but we'll get into that once we... uh, Start talking about the decade, and it might be uh, no. It's still number two on my. You should be ashamed you didn't see this list because of the movie that Sony and their fucking intelligence released against Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Yeah. And I still keep my word, and I will keep my word. If you say one thing about. Wow, this is good. I wish I would have seen this in the theater. I will say fuck you to you to your face. And Carl knows it's wow. true, don't you? Yeah. But yeah, the big fight right now is all the old school 70s directors, which Carl loves. Well, except for maybe... Now, Francis Ford Coppola's counts because he's done the conversation. Oh, yeah. He's done good stuff. Coppola's done good stuff. No question. Let's see. Coppola's come out saying this week that Marvel isn't filmmaking. And today the most interesting one has come out and said about it. Who's the guy? Was it Ken Loach or the guy who did Local Hero? No, I think it was Loach. Yeah. And in a way I can see what I can see where they're coming from because I know Scorsese is bitter as hell about not be about how long it took him to get money to make the Irishman. Mm-hmm. And certainly there's a lot of directors out there that aren't making films anymore. Because of that. I mean, certainly Cronenberg now, he just signed a deal, I guess, to do a miniseries based on his yeah, novel. Yeah, but still, he's the one who said it first, wasn't he? Well, he, got he tired didn't of... say... Okay, so he did not say anything about Marvel. 
No, well, I'm he saying that he's the first one to say he got tired of kissing ass for cash. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He got tired of it because it was just, it, it was a mess. You know, his last film, Map of the Stars, which, by the way, I really like, you know, it took him, what, two and a half years to finance that, and it went, he doesn't even finance in, in, in America anymore. They're, they're, he doesn't even talk to anyone here. It's all and, overseas. And Carl doesn't like it as much as I do, but Cosmopolis deserved a bigger fucking release than it fucking got. Oh, I agree. Oh, don't kid yourself. I think it's a really interesting film. I don't think it's among his best. But then again, Cronenberg's worst is better than most people's best. Trust me on that. But yeah, let's see. Uh, John Carpenter, uh, David Cronenberg, uh, John Waters. Yeah. They've all gotten tired of dancing the dance. Absolutely. Like John Waters has said he went in asking for money to make a movie, and all they asked him was, well, how much do you think he'll make his first weekend out? I know. And that's all they care about. He just walked out of the office. Well, you see, this is part of the, the – uh, this is part of what they're saying. You know, they, they, you know, they say that Marvel – and they target Marvel, but what they're really saying is they're targeting the commercial end of the business. Now, do you think, okay, the funny thing is I was thinking about this, Stephen, and give me a minute or two on this. Um, if you go back four or five decades, right, and you think about the 60s or the 50s or the 40s or whatever, yeah. there was always popular cinema. I mean, back in the 30s and 40s, you had the serials. You had the, the Buck Rogers. You had uh, Flash Gordon. Batman, Superman. You know, all this stuff, right, which was specifically designed, you know, for, for matinees, for kids, for families, you know, and then they would have more adult stuff. But, but uh, back then, of course, these were all cheap. They were done on a cheap. That sort of thing. What has happened over the years is that the popular cinema, the popcorn cinema, so to speak, has gotten you know bigger budgets and more technical expertise that they outshine in many ways, at least outgadget most of the quote serious films. And because the market is there, they have elbowed out the serious films. I grew up in the 70s. I love the new Hollywood. I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of what's happening either. But you know what? It's where they make the money, and I hate to tell you this. It's a friggin' business. They need to make money if they're putting seats in, and it's not yeah, cinema you okay. like, Stacey. I don't really fucking care. Hold on, Steve. Uh, <clears throat> because you know what? Even though it's popcorn, cinema. It's still cinema. I don't care what you say. And it's getting people in the seats, so there. Yeah. That's what I have to say. And let's okay, see. Okay, The Godfather. Popcorn cinema. Good stuff. No, I, I, I disagree with that. I mean, certainly 
it, it was a popular type of thing, the gangsters at the time. But he did bring a lot of artistry to that. Yeah, um, but at a time, you know, the Godfather of popcorn cinema, the Goodfellas, uh, Casino, definitely populous popcorn cinema. Well, Scorsese popular just, cinema. Yes. Yeah. That I would say. It's just that our ideal of what populist pop what popcorn cinema is was really in a higher fucking level in the fucking seventies and it started to sink as soon as VHS got in and they realized that instead of taking risk on these interesting films they can just throw them out on VHS for people who were starving for them. We'll go there and eat them. Well, you know what? I think you're missing something here. Okay? And, you know, we talk about these great directors, right? Yeah. One person we have not mentioned in this is Spielberg, who, you know, is a great director. You know, you know, certainly no, a popular not. director. Now, 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 just hear me out here. Okay, we forget that basically Steven Spielberg and Jaws gave us the summer blockbuster. It changed the yeah. whole idea. Now, he is a populist director. He's a popcorn cinema 90% of the time. And uh, that's okay. Not my cup of tea. <clears throat> but you can't, again, you cannot say that what he does isn't cinema. Yeah, you know, true. this higher, you know, luckier than thou attitude, I've never I've I've never gotten it because you know what? We both crossed the line. I love my highbrow stuff. But I love my blood freak. And too. I do too. Yeah. But let's be honest, anyone who's let's see I think this Marvel shit is just fucking low cinema and it sucks. You directed Jack, shut the fuck up. But, you know, directed Jack. Shut the fuck up, Mr. Coppola. <laughs> I forgot about that for good says, reason. Yeah, Mr. Scorsese says, well, I never directed populist cinema. You directed Hugo. Shut the fuck up. Sit down. It's I, a I, I, might, I might argue with you on that. Great. I might argue with you on that. I don't consider that populist cinema. But But we can argue about that later. But you're right. It's yeah. more pop. It's 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 less Scorsese than usual. I'll give you that. I mean, yeah, I can understand where Scorsese's better because he used to be God. He was such a God back then. Raging Bull, God. King of Comedy, God. Hell, look at the biggest populist hit movie of this year of this month okay Joker yeah it's a goddamn love note to Taxi Driver and King Economy and let's not joke ourselves in the way we were in the 70s Taxi Driver was a populist film no see I disagree with you I disagree with you new new the new Hollywood wasn't pop. You know what was populist back then, or what was popular? Basically, Spielberg, 
Okay, go go back into that's seventy six, you know, son. <laughs> well, that's seventy five. Yeah. Okay, but, but even before that, look at the number one films from seventy five. They're your guys: Mash, Robert Altman, number one hit, Peter Bogdanovich, The Last Picture Show, Taxi 71. Driver, big fucking hit. Seventy three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, back, that's New Hollywood. That was the beauty of it. Yeah, that's They, they were saying. not popular films. They were artistic films. Yeah, I but got, the I'll make the, wanted I'll, artistic films. That's the thing that I think they've lost, and you're not bringing up. When the populace wants art, art will rise. Look at... Uh, What's his name? We directed Steve Zizou and all that. Right, which is uh, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, yeah. He makes populist art films. Right. And they make money. You know why? Why? It's easier to make a film that will play for months in an art theater when if you make it for a standard theater, you got to make money first week or fuck you. That's all they care about in standard theaters is what do you make the first week. Right? Carl? Hey, are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I, I got kicked isn't off. isn't that Marvel films are not. The problem is, is the Marvel films are the whores that will pay out the big money first week out. Oh, if absolutely. Daisy could make the Irishman, and they were guaranteed to make 150 to 200 million its first week out. You would see studios fucking killing each other to make movies like the fucking Irishman or Scorsese. Right, film. but but that's not that's not the case anymore. No. Okay. Everything changes. So, and absolutely. Not for the better. No, but you see. Then, you see. That's See the one opinion. thing I think you miss about the seventies, okay, about about yeah. New Hollywood. And, well, two things. One is they threw things against the wall. They had no clue what yeah. was going to hit and what was not. But the other thing too was that the power went to the director and not the studio. Yeah. But now the studio is taking it back, and and one of the main reasons we talked about this many times is is of course the summer blockbuster and so on and so forth. And they saw how much money they could make. And so the whole attitude changed. And the thing is, you know, the taxi driver, okay, you say it's a populist film. It's only populist because they allowed it to be made back then. And then it's gained notoriety over the years, but it wasn't considered populist back then. Here's another thing that you're forgetting. Go back then, taxi driver, 
Uh, Martin Scorsese's The Taxi Taxi Driver. Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather. Robert Altman's Mash on the poster. The director's name was bigger, and now they well, the guys they, who produced so and so. Right. Quentin Tarantino is the only director nowadays with enough stroke where his name comes before the movie title. Right. He, they don't even do that with Wes Anderson, which he deserves it, but that's beside the point. Now, with some of his titles, that would just sound weird. The one that they did that, Wes Anderson's The Aquatic Life of Steve Zizou, that just sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs? No. Isle of Dogs? Yeah. Yeah. True. Oh, and speaking of Tarantino, what do you think about his response to China and Bruce Lee's daughter wanting them to cut out the Bruce Lee stuff from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Basically, he gave him the middle finger, didn't he? Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. And that's another thing they're not talking about Scorsese and them. They're saying U.S. market's done down. The U.S. market's done down. U.S. market don't exist. It's certainly not as important as it used to be. Not even close. No. Because we'd rather sit home with thumbs up our asses, uh, gorging ourselves on the newest Netflix or Amazon series like a fat bastard at a smorgasbord. Sounds good to me. Where are we eating, Steve? Yeah. I could use some fat smorgasbord food. Yeah. But you understand what I'm saying. Oh, oh yeah. I watch. 29 episodes of this show all at once. Yeah, good. It's like it's getting close to Blipfert territory, isn't it, Carl? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I love Blipfert. Okay, uh, just so everyone knows what the reference is, uh, that would be Max Headroom, the TV show, way back and when Blipfert, in the 80s, okay? Yeah, and Blipfert was an episode about where they would show television shows and commercials at such a quick rate that it would cause your mind to explode. Yes. And it's a wonderful thing. Well, actually, no, because that's how they did... That's why most... That's why people like... Oh my God! The Irishman is three hours. It's three fucking hours. What's so? What's wrong with having a good slow meal? Yeah, I agree. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, like uh, one of my favorite bits in The Hateful Eight. Just when most directors would kick in the story in high gear, he brings in Samuel Jackson. He's like, let's slow it down. Let's slow it way down. Yeah. And a lot of audiences nowadays don't like what they considered slow-paced movies. 
you don't like slow-paced movies and you like fast, Whitbert-type movies, will you like The Lighthouse? Uh, no. How much of a slow burn is that? It, 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 yeah, yeah, it is. What if you like movies with uh, William Defoe jacking off? No, 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 it's not William Defoe that jacks off. <laughs> well, William Patterson. Hey, all you Twilight fans, go see The Lighthouse. You'll get to see your boy jacking off. To a mermaid. That's a toy. Yeah, and I'm not you'll joking get to see his that. penis. Wink, wink. No, you don't get Go to see, see his it. penis. Shh, we're trying to sell the fucking movies, stupid Twilight fans. <laughs> <laughs> Only difference is in the 70s, they would have sold that shit. Oh, yeah. They would have been a 20-page interview about how hard it was to jack off on film. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> okay. He's pretty much talked about everything. Saturday, I don't know what's going on, but yeah, so far, listen to the stories episode because everybody just kicks ass in there, even Carl. But Carl <laughs> thought that his story was like his penis. And he wants his story to be like John Hall's. So maybe he has a surprise for you for later this week or something. I I would think maybe that's a possibility. Yeah. And also we have the Halloween score mix. If you haven't listened to it, listen to it. It's good. It's musical. It's good. And I was tripped out this year to pass, man. I mean, I got the program I was looking for, the usual, and then to thanks to all those that helped and sponsored. And they named this ratty-ass piece of shit, no-budget, no-talent fucking podcast as a, in the thank-you scenes. So thank you to them for bullshitting people into thinking that we are professional. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> no, speak for both of us. We're not professional. <laughs> yeah, we're the kind of people, if, if you could see us, we'd be more like kicking the fucking generator going, God damn it, turn on! <laughs> That's but then again, I see a lot of yeah, podcasts where they overspend on that shit, too. They have all sorts of, like, uh, wands and shit that looks like something out of a goddamn... Richard Stanley movie. Oh, that, and, and yes, I got to see that. I got to see the color out of space. That hasn't Badly. Hit Is that still on no, the festival circuit? I thought it was in New York. No, nah, it did not hit New York yet. I'm looking for oh, it. it. Must and I on the festival uh, And I also missed uh, 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 Crispin Glover's new movie. That that Bruce uh, 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 suggested it was out last week, but I couldn't get yeah. to it. Oh, and don't forget, 
If you love okay. your 70s black exploitation or you just love good movies about making movies, Friday on Netflix is Dolomitis by name. So watch that and give it yep. a good rate so maybe we'll get the Durrell Martin story next or uh, the Calvin Lockhart bottle biography. No, actually, you know what we're getting next? What? Seriously. Pam. Oh, they've been talking about that since I was I had hair close to my eyebrows. Well, well, a, a deal was linked, as far as good. I know. Uh, uh, I read that about six months ago. Oh, there's one that got canceled that I'm glad. Guess who they had cast as Pam Greer? Who? Beyonce. No. Fuck no. No. Okay, we'll see you Sunday. Oh, oh, hold the brakes. What do you have for Catholic Fish Day, Carl? Catholic Fish Day. Well, actually, uh, uh, we will probably be doing the show on Saturday instead. And uh, uh, at this point, it's a little up in the air. I'm trying to get everyone together to do a, a, a retrospective on, on uh, the films of Robert Forster, who just passed away. So we're going to be doing that, and more than likely it'll be on Saturday instead of Friday yeah. because of some scheduling difficulties. Okay. And thank you all for listening, and good night, and thank you to the guys at the Knoxville Horror Fest for putting out another good show. Oh, absolutely, and thank you, Stephen, for, for having me on. Really appreciate doing it, okay? Well, I had to. You've seen movie with goals and mermaid fucking. <laughs> yes, this is true. And, and yes, you should all go see The Lighthouse, absolutely. Unless you don't like interesting movies, then y'all just stay the fuck at home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Good night. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. <laughs> <laughs> Open the circuit. Blood receiver pressure increase. All the ship's energy is now in the wave motion gun. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. Oh, did I hurt your feelings? The Magneto's right. There's a war coming. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. You sure you're on the right side? Hasta la vista, baby.